Heavenly Father, we had asked for your blessing on the word that is going to be delivered today. I ask that your spirit would be the one speaking and guiding and filling our hearts full of wisdom and insight. And may this be the case daily as we seek after you and help us, Lord, daily to do that, to find out what your will is, to submit to you willfully, to be willing to take up our crosses daily and follow you. And with your help, we will do this, for you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you guys remember there was this um, big deal about the four blood moons? Do you remember that? It was just not too long ago. There was a book written on the four blood moons, and it was portending, or it portended, to something bad that was going to happen, possibly to Israel. And there are websites dedicated to this. And there's an article here. This article is dated. I don't have the date here. But here's everything that happened since the fourth blood moon. And I'm just going to give you a quote from this article. This is what has happened. However, in the few months since the tetrad cycle ended, humanity as we've known it has taken a dive Let's start with the United Nations raising the Palestinian flag at its headquarters in New York. Then Russia launching airstrikes on Turkey and President Vladimir Putin wants to destroy the dollar. People, it's happening, but we're not looking. Is the world any worse than it was before the four blood moons? It wasn't. So what were the blood moons all about? Nothing. They were about nothing. It, you know, it's just an event that took place, right? Then you had the total solar eclipse. Did you read the articles or the headlines of the articles that were there? Here's one. Black moon, the solar eclipse fulfilled Bible prophecy of apocalypse and second coming. That was in today's total solar. Uh, no, that was in, um, I don't have the publication, but it was by John Austin. August 21st, 2017. Then here's an article that was on the Drudge Report. Apocalypse, rapture, second coming because of the eclipse. And it goes into detail about that. How about this one? Anne Graham Lotz issues an urgent warning about the upcoming solar eclipse. Did anything happen? Yeah, a solar eclipse happened. An omen of doom and source of awe, a glimpse into the history of solar eclipses. Apocalypse now? Solar eclipse will cause planet Nibiru to destroy Earth next month. Online, doom mongers claim. There's one more. Remember I've talked to you about the Revelation 12 rapture? September 23rd? Now, I'm going to explain this to you. Actually, take out your Bibles and open up to Revelation chapter 12. I want to show you something. Revelation chapter 12. And I've mentioned this gentleman probably two or three times, the one who's sitting on this corner over here. And he doesn't go to church. I've talked to him. He doesn't go to church because churches now are 5013Cs. That means they're submissive to the government. Nothing about Roman 
Romans saying that we need to be submissive to the governments and the authorities that have been established because they have been established by God. But we'll put that to the side. So he doesn't fellowship. But he's not alone in this. If you look online and you type in Revelation chapter 12, Rapture, September 23rd, you'll get all kinds of websites that come up. And this is what it is based on. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on his head. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all nations or all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne." Now, if you're reading this, you go, so how is the rapture tied to this? Okay, you ready for the explanation? If you look up in the sky and you have this area known as the plane of the ecliptic, the plane of the ecliptic is where the planets and the sun, they're all on a single line. Like, for instance, the moon comes up in the east there, and if you follow the moon around, it'll set in the west. And on that same line that it travels, you will have the planets, nine planets, or is it eight planets? Is Pluto still a planet? I don't know if it's still a planet. It's maybe in whatever planet. But anyhow, the rest of the planets, and you start with Mercury, you go to Venus, and you have the Earth, then you have the asteroid belt, then you have Mars. After Mars, you have... There we go. Somebody had their astronomy class, huh? Jupiter and Saturn and Neptune, Uranus, and then the planet that's not a planet anymore, Pluto. And out there somewhere is Nibiru or Planet X and who knows what else is out there. But that's the plane in which most all of these planets travel. Pluto is a little off kilter. It doesn't exactly follow everything else. But that's where the line is. And so if you go outside, you can see most of the planets during a given year go across this plane. Well, if you look up there, there's also these constellations. You have the constellation Virgo. And above that, you have the constellation Leo. Now, you following? This is in Revelation 12. Not. And so you have the virgin, which is up there. That's Virgo. And where she is aligned, all of a sudden, the sun appears over her shoulder, over her left shoulder. And the moon is under her feet. And then you have the constellation Leo, and Leo has nine stars in it, but at this particular September 23rd, you're going to have Mercury, you're going to have Venus, and you're going to have Mars that are going to be in this particular constellation. And so you see this woman in the book of Revelation, she is Virgo, the virgin, right? That's who she is, and above her head are 12 stars. And when you look up, Leo has nine, but you add these three planets, that's 12 stars. You following this in Revelation chapter 12? It's not there. But people are making this connection. And they've, they've come up with this interpretation from Scripture. Now, I've given you three examples of things that have been told are going to happen. Two of them, nothing happened. The next one, what do you think is going to happen? Three for three. We're going to go three for three. Now, 
I want to go back to Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. Virgo. That's what they're interpreting this to be. A woman. Now, traditionally, this woman... Do you guys know who this woman is supposed to be in Scripture? Israel. Israel. Yes, you guys know. See, that's, that is proper interpretation of the Scripture. It is Israel, and she gives birth to a child. Who is the child? Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Because down in verse 5, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. That is clearly a reference to Jesus Christ. It is not a reference to the church. And they say this is to the church. Why do they say this is to the church? Because in this passage here, it says it's going to be caught up to heaven. Caught up, harpazo. The same word that is used for the rapture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And also, or 4, chapter 4. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 and 51. That's where it talks about the rapture. And the word harpazo is means snatched away. Uh, maybe you've heard that term before. And that is the word that is used here in the second half of verse 5. And her child was snatched, harpazo, to God and to his throne. So they say, see, that's the rapture of the church. This is a complete misinterpretation of the scripture. Now, might the rapture happen on the 24th? It could. Yeah, it could. I'll let you know. You know, we'll be up in the air going, hey, it actually happened. But do you think it's going to be based on this scripture interpreting Virgo and the constellation Leo? No, it's not. It has nothing to do. It is a really, really bad interpretation of scripture. And there's all these things that come along like this and we're supposed to be, we better repent now for the kingdom of God is near. You know, you want to force somebody into the kingdom by fear? Now, some are like, I don't want to die and go to hell. And that's, that's good. That's admirable that somebody would change their mind. But under false pretenses, what do you think it's going to do for the person who says, I need to come to Christ because the rapture is going to happen. And then the rapture doesn't happen. What do you think that person's going to do? You bunch of liars. It's going to turn to the Christian community and say, you lied to me. You know, how can I trust you? And so we do a disservice to those who are seeking after God. And for this, it kind of gets my ire up a little bit. The hair stands up in the back of my neck. I wish it would stand up on my head, but it stands up in the back of my neck. And, and I, I get a little uptight about that. And Jesus even warned us about this type of thing taking place. In Matthew chapter 24, actually, why don't you turn over there? Matthew chapter 24 and verse 24. That's where we are. It reads in the scriptures here, Matthew chapter 24, verse 24. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. And he says, see, I have told you ahead of time. So he gives us a warning about those who would show up and claim to be prophets, but they are false. Uh, When I talked to this guy, I think I asked him, do you think you're a prophet? But I don't think, Patty, do you remember, did he answer in the negative? I don't think he did. It was just kind of vague, like, do you think you're a prophet? 
Yeah. <laughs> well, do you, are you saying I am? No, I, I'm not saying you are. So this idea of Matthew chapter 24, God warned us that there's going to be these people who come along that are going to tell us these events are going to take place and they're going to be completely wrong and it's meant to deceive us. Also, turn over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul, the author here, writing to the, Bert, uh, the church of Thessalonica, he was concerned that somebody might be deceived about what is supposed to take place in the future, specifically the day of the Lord coming. And he told him, do not be concerned about that. The way that you'll know that the day of the Lord is coming, and he spells it out here, this is how you're going to know. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 in verse 1. It says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man of doom who is doomed to destruction, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So if we know that the end is coming and this temple is going to be built and the Antichrist is going to show up. We know that we're living in the spirit of Antichrist, as the scripture declares it, that there's this move to get rid of everything considered God, that everything that God considers right is taken to the side and lawlessness and licentiousness and debauchery is the thing that is lifted up, that everybody has the freedom to do whatever they want, whenever they want, with no consequences whatsoever. And if you proclaim that truth Truth should stand, you are considered a bigot and a homophobe and somebody who should not be tolerated. And what's being taught to our kids is this idea that our speech, those of us who are evangelical Christians, that we talk about God and righteousness and goodness and faithfulness, they are being taught that that kind of speech should not even be allowed to come up in any type of public event. It needs to be sequestered. It needs to be subdued. Therefore, Antifa shows up. That is the spirit of Antichrist. And it's a whole generation of kids who have been dumbed down, not being able to, thought, not to think critically about what's right and wrong, asking questions about our environment, about our history. Matter of fact, what do we want to do with the history? Get rid of it. Have no mention of it. Don't, don't we remember uh, what was said? And I forget who coined the uh, little axiom. Uh, those who don't remember history are destined to repeat it. And I'm paraphrasing. And, and so we need to make sure we're teaching history. We need to make sure that we are engaging the culture that is coming up. We should not shy away from them. And I know as we get older, we start thinking to ourselves, uh, kid, you bother me. Get away from me. You know, we little older like you just bother me your music stinks and i don't like your culture and we don't want to engage them and we got to do just the opposite we got to show up where they are we got to get involved in what they're involved in and not put ourselves to the side and so i just want to encourage you this morning you hear something like this come along and by the way i'm not going to be here september 24th so just don't think you think that i've been raptured i won't be I'm, I'm just going to be away, and I will be coming back, I promise you. And if it's not, you'll know. 
if it's the rapture. But I, I don't want you to be concerned about these things. And I promise you, there's going to be some more come up. Give it a year or another year. It's no accident that the eclipse happened. Really? No, God timed it. And these things, we know when the next one's coming, and there's going to be more. And so we don't need to worry. I mean, there could be nuclear explosions go off around the world, and people are going to say, see, it's the end. Well, it is the end for some people, but if we're not raptured, it's not the end. And we're supposed to maintain what we know, be solidly rooted in God's word, and have a foundation under us. And when there's turmoil going on all around us, we know what's right. We know what God has told us. We know what we're supposed to be waiting for. So please do not be easily unsettled by these things which come along. And the next one that comes, you just go, yeah, where does it say that in the Bible? Uh Uh-huh. And how did you interpret that exactly? Did you use the interpretation of syntax and history and context and all of that? Oh, really? Ah, you came up with your own interpretation. By a side note, one guy's website that I went to that was talking about this rapture, he was doing great. I mean, he just nailed it on Revelation 12. And I'm just going, ah, oh, this is so good. Oh, it's so fantastic. And he gets down to the bottom. But Erdogan from Turkey, he's the Antichrist. And I go, oh, man, you just blew it. What are you doing? You know, you're just going on. And I've been to these, prophecies, these prophecy conferences like one guy will get up there and he'll be talking and everything's going good. It's good information. And then another guy gets up there and he goes, and Juan Carlos of Spain is the Antichrist. And he goes, oh, no, you're blowing it, dude. You're just blowing it. And so when somebody comes up like that, they start naming the Antichrist. It's Henry Kissinger, you know, something like that. It's not Henry Kissinger. It's not Obama. I know some people thought it was, but it's not Obama. It's no one else who is out there. When the Antichrist shows up, there's going to be a great falling away. And by that time, we're out of here. Scripture says that we're out of here. So I just want to encourage you with that. Now we're in Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. Okay, we left off last week. With Jesus Christ and Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was meant to point to Jesus Christ. He came up first in Genesis chapter 14. And Jesus is our high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That is given to us in Psalm chapter 1 verse 10. And all the attributes that were ascribed to Melchizedek are the same attributes that are ascribed to the Son of God. And so we have this comparison, especially in chapter 7. Now, comparison and parallelisms and metaphors and similes are how God brings to us the information he wants us to know. Now, by making a comparison, what he does is he takes something that is familiar to explain something that is unfamiliar. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration of this. Like, for instance, my fingers that are in front of you, they are familiar to you, right? But when I do this, you're going to say, How did he do that? Now watch. Did I do that with my mouth or did I do that with my finger? Now you say, why are you doing this for? Because I want to explain to you something. I'm going to give you a comparison of what is in reality, truth, to explain to you how I did that little trick. I do that to little kids. They go, how did you do that? You know, they're kind of in this land of mystery. Well, it's simple. 
you put your fingers together, you lubricate the tip of your finger here, you make a little suction cup right there, you put it against a smooth surface, and it creates this little vacuum. And when you pop it out, it's the sound of the air rushing back in. That's the popping sound that you get. Some people think, oh, you did that with your tongue. No, my mouth was closed. So I use the familiar. You know about little vacuums. You know about popping sounds. You know the pop guns with the little cork. When you pull the cork or you you pull the gun back and you go to shoot it, that popping sound is the sound of the air going back into the chamber. That's what that actually is. And so by explaining how that sound happens, you can understand how the popping takes place. Now, Jesus, he was talking to the Jews, or excuse me, the author of Hebrews was talking to the Jews, and they understood and were familiar with Melchizedek. That's how they were able to make this connection. He used a parallel explanation right alongside. Here's Melchizedek, here's Jesus. Here's Melchizedek, here's Jesus. And so they're going side by side. Well, he does the same thing with the tabernacle as we will get into it here. He starts using these comparisons. Now, Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 1 is where we're going to pick it up. And let's pick it up. Verse 1, the point of what we are saying is this. And he just finished with Melchizedek. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. In other words, he's telling us there is a tabernacle here, which the Jews would be familiar with, and there's also one in heaven. And so the Jews are immediately able to make this connection. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer, referring to the priest that went to the heavenly tabernacle. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest. There is already... There are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by law. And they are of another priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. He is of the priesthood of Melchizedek. So today, as we are just told, Jesus is at the right hand in verse 1 of chapter 8. There, sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. There are at least 10 references to where jesus is mark 16 19 luke 22 69 acts 7 56 romans 8 34 colossians 3 1 hebrews 1 3 hebrews 10 12 and of course hebrews 8 1 that i just read hebrews 12 2 hebrews 7 25 all those references say something along the line like and sat down at the right hand of the throne of god so we know exactly where our messiah is at this point he is in heaven Where the tabernacle is, he's up in this area. Now, if you remember the tabernacle, and we'll get into that, we know that there was a mercy seat of God where the Shekinah glory came down. So he's referring to the high priest here in verse 5. They serve at the sanctuary that is a copy of shadow and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Is this cutting out? I kind of hear it cutting out. So anyhow, so the earthly tabernacle was just a shadow of the heavenly tabernacle. Now, I'm sure that the comparison of the earthly tabernacle to the heavenly tabernacle, how big was the earthly tabernacle? The court was 150 feet by 75 feet. 
How big do you think the one is in heaven? It's huge. I I mean, it's just, it must be just miles and miles and miles. I'm sure it's just this huge, magnanimous structure that is up there. Even though it's spiritual, I believe there is a, a structure which is up there. So down. I'm going in and out still, right? Jesus came down and he became this high priest and he offered the sacrifice of his own blood, but where did he offer it? In heaven. How did he do that? I have no idea how he did that. But it, scripture says that he did. Down here, the priest would offer blood on the altar, but up there, Jesus offered his own blood. Now, going on in the scriptures, but the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, referring to the earthly priest, as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one. It is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. And so this this covenant that they had, the Jews were probably stuck in this mindset. Where was I? So Jesus came down. And he was this high priest, the high priest that was supposed to have been modeled by the Levites who were here. And he's making this comparison about the earthly temple and the heavenly temple. And his covenant is different than the covenant from the Old Testament. The Old Testament covenant was not superior. It actually had an ending date. It isn't something that went on as a permanent arrangement. God determined that it would be short-lived. Of course, it was thousands of years, but it's still short-lived in light of eternity. The covenant that we are now under with Jesus Christ lasts for all of eternity. It is unending. And the law in the Old Testament, it contained 613 commandments. How many commandments do we have in the New Testament that we're supposed to follow? Two. Every other commandment, every other requirement is wrapped up in those two. Jesus made it easy. Verse 8, it goes on, it says, But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. Now in Leviticus chapter 26, you don't have to read there, I'm going to read some excerpts from that. In Leviticus chapter 26, he told them over and over If you keep my commands, you'll be blessed. If you don't, you're going to be cursed over and over. Here's an example. If you follow my decrees, this is verse 3 of chapter 26. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season and the ground will yield its crops and the trees of the field their fruit. Your threshing will excuse me, continue until grape harvest and the grape harvest will continue until planting and you will eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. I will grant peace in the land and you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. I will remove savage beasts from the land and the sword will not pass through your country. 
You will pursue your enemies and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase 10,000 and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers and I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. What a promise, right? (laughs) I am the Lord your God. But if you will not listen to me and carry out these commandments, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out my commands and so violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will bring upon you sudden terror, wasting diseases and fever that will destroy your sight and drain away your life. You will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. I will set my face against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you and you will flee even when no one is pursuing you. And he goes on just as long if you will not. And he he delivers all these curses to them. And of course, that's what they did. And God was not pleased with him under the covenant. And so he did away with the covenant. So God found fault with the people, verse 8 says. And he knew that there needed to be a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now he's referring specifically to the Israelites. Remember I made the distinction for you on that? Abraham was the first Hebrew. The Israelites are the children that come from Jacob and the Jews were the ones who inhabited the land of Judah, the kingdom to the south, which was made up of the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. The other 10 tribes were to the north. And so Jesus said, I'm going to make a covenant with all the Israelites, all the Hebrews, all the descendants of Abraham. And that's the promise that has come to us as well. This covenant, or this is the covenant, verse 10, I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more in Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31 through 34. That's what he is quoting here. And I will remember their sins no more. Listen to what Jeremiah writes. The time is coming declares the Lord when I make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I will not. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord's. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. You can see how the author of Hebrews says, This is what the prophecy means. And he spells it back out almost word for word all the way through. And so he's making a comparison again. The Old Testament Jeremiah with the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 8. He's saying, do you recognize this? First it was 
Jesus Christ, Melchizedek, that parallelism. Then you have the temple as opposed to the temple, or not the temple, but the tabernacle as opposed to the tabernacle or temple that is in heaven. In verse 13, he continues with this covenant. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. So he's telling the Jews that are in front of him that this covenant that came through the law, it's done. It's over. Wrap it up. Put it to the side. We got a new way of doing things here. Now, if somebody comes along, you're at your job, and they have a new operating system on the computers, don't you just enjoy that? Isn't that just a fantastic feeling that you have to learn a whole new program? Those of you who are accountants know that this is just a nightmare to do something like that. Or they change how you keep records and everything that you write down. Now you have these additional columns and you have to put all this stuff in there. Oy vey, and you have to write this stuff down. And it's just a bother. Well, now you have the Jews who have existed since the time of Abraham. Somebody comes along and says, it's a new covenant. And you're going, oh no, 630 commandments. I just got them down and now I, what? I have to follow a new one here? And you could see how they didn't saying oh my back oh it's just so burdensome to have to go through something like that and so he's trying to gently tell him look this was god's plan the whole time just come along it's going to be good there's only two commandments hey okay i think i can get behind two commandments right some more like an italian guy but this idea that that two commandments are much easier than the 613 commandments and all the freedom after that, the observances and all of that, it just goes by the wayside, the ceremonial law. And so it is a new covenant. And by the way, this covenant comes to fruition. It hasn't come to full fruition yet. It comes to fruition after we are raptured. When we are with Jesus Christ, nobody's going to come up to you and say, when you have your new body, nobody's going to come up to you and say, what does Psalm 119 verse 11 say? I, 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 don't, I can't remember it. You're going to have total recall, right? What was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? What, what was that? I, I can't quite remember. Not only that, but everybody that's up there, you're going to know their name. But how many people do you know in your life right now that you can name their names? How, how big is your phone book? You know, your phone book, you might have 100 names. If you're real popular, you might have 300 names on there. You'll know everybody. How many is going to be there? Millions. Giacomo, hey, man, how you doing? Dwayne, yeah. Well, we never met on earth, but I know all about you. It's going to be like that. We're going to have this info in our head, and we're going to know the Lord. Now, we're still going to learn stuff. That's the way it's going to be. We're still going to grow for eternity. Jesus is going to teach us. How much knowledge does Jesus have? It's infinite. It doesn't end. So how much is he going to give us? An infinite amount of knowledge. It's never going to end. That's where we're going. And we're not going to get tired of hearing it. Okay, I've listened to this pastor now for 45 minutes. And I'm getting tired. You're not going to do that with Jesus. You're going to go, what's next? Ah, oh, it's awesome. You're going to sit down. It's so great. You know, you're going to be so excited about what's taking place up there. It's not going to be like here. And there's going to be no night. So you're going to learn forever. You're not going to take a nap. 
You probably could if you wanted to. And the dreams. Oh, man, the dreams. You don't have to dream about flying. You'll be able to probably. You know, it'll be a great thing that's up there. So this is the new covenant that's coming for us. It's just going to be a fantastic place. And God wants this to be available to everybody. But just like the Jews in the Old Testament covenant, the Mosaic covenant, they would not. And just like that now, people will not come to Christ unless the Spirit of God prompts them to come, unless they submit to that. And by the way, men are without excuse. We know according to the book of Romans, we know that God exists, but people refuse to retain the knowledge of God, so they put that to the side. And all we can do is be a witness of that. We can just say, look, this is what's coming. I want to give you the warning, not from me, but from God himself, that we are to repent, we are to turn from the ways that we are going astray. Now, going on in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up in its first room where the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread that is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain. Now, I want to see if anyone catches this. You listening? Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained a gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Did anybody catch anything reading that? I'm going to read it again. Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold cover ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Did anybody catch it? Ha! Ah, man who knows his Bible. That's right. <clears throat> In the tabernacle... As you walked in, first you had the outer court, right? 150 feet by 75 feet. And the first thing that you run into there is the laver where you wash. The second thing is the altar. Then you go to the first curtain or door. It was called a door, but it was a curtain and you would enter the holy place. In the holy place, on the right-hand side, you would have the showbread. On the left-hand side, you would have the lamp of God. Right in front of you, before the curtain, you would have the altar of incense. Here it says the altar of incense is behind the curtain. Now, this would appear to be a contradiction. Is it true that the altar of incense was behind the curtain? Did the author of Hebrews make a mistake here? What is going on? Now, I believe that the word of God is without error. And so somebody would look at this and say, see... Your Bible contradicts itself. In one place, it says that the altar was behind the curtain. In the other place, it says it's in the holy place, not in the holy of holy places. How is this possible? Well, for the most part, the speculation that is out there, we don't know. We don't know how it is possible that this takes place. There's speculation around it, but it doesn't mean it is not true. If something comes up in scripture, it's not that it's a contradiction. It's that we don't have enough understanding 
of what's taking place in the scripture. And there are some people who theorize, well, what is this exactly? And the meaning that may have been expressed, the consensus of most people, the the altar of incense, it was not stressing the location of the altar of incense. It was emphasizing the theological connection between the altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant. Is that sufficient to me? I'm still waning on that. I go, I, you know, I just don't know. But I do know this. I'm lacking information of what I need to know. For instance, some people would say, when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year on Yom Kippur, he would have a censer. Now, for those of you who are Catholics, you were Catholics, you know what a censer is, right? The priest walks along and he swings this thing back and forth, especially at a funeral. You know, he'll swing that thing back and forth. And inside, it's smoky, smelly. It's, it's no good to smell, you know. And you just walk along and that's what the priest had. Well, the priest of the Old Testament did the same thing. He filled his incense censer with some coals from the altar, put some incense on there, and went into the Holy of Holies and flung that thing around. So the altar, theologically speaking, the altar of incense, also goes into the Holy of Holies. So what does the altar of incense represent? The prayers of the saints. So the prayers of the saints belong to God specifically. Nobody else is getting prayed to. It is only to God. So like the bread, the bread is for the priests to eat. We are a kingdom of priests. We participate in receiving of the bread. Also the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world and the sevenfold spirit of God. He is ours. He places that spirit within us. But the prayers of the saints belong to God himself. So I could see how somebody would arrive at this theological conclusion. But there is a dilemma here. Why exactly is it inside instead of outside? It's all academic. We don't know. But I can assure you this. It's not a mistake. We're simply lacking the information that we need to make a proper judgment about this. And most theologians, by the way, the, um, the interpretation of Scripture is not exclusive to one person. It is the body of Christ. And when the body of Christ comes to a conclusion on something like that, directed by the Spirit of God, chances are you can lean pretty hard on it. You're not going to be going an error too much. So the golden altar was behind the curtain here. Verse 5 says, Above the ark were the cherubim of glory overshadowed, overshadowing the atonement cover, but we cannot discuss these things in detail now. And so just to review the temple area, Excuse me, I had the bronze laver and the uh, altar reversed. You had the altar that you had to have the sacrifice on. The laver was next because the priest had to wash before he went into the holy place there. You had the table of showbread on the right, the golden lampstand on the left, the altar of incense before the veil in the holy of holies. And then you had the Ark of the Covenant. The fence was made out of cloth seven and a half feet tall. And remember, we just covered all of this in the book of Exodus. But God is reminding the Jews the Hebrews, of what the temple looked like, so it's worth reviewing one more time. The tabernacle, 150 feet long by 75 feet wide, was the outer court. The tent was 45 feet long by 15 feet wide. This is 40 feet. Wall to wall is 40 feet in here. Now imagine only 15 feet. 15 feet would, not quite, but a third of what is in here. That's the Holy of Holies. So this up here, you know, is just about 15 by 15. That's where God dwells. 
and, or that's where he dwelt, was inside this tabernacle, a little small thing. And this, this would be like the curtain here. And the priest would go back behind the curtain and there would be the Ark of the Covenant, which was back there. You know, and, and that was it. And the Shekinah glory of God was the thing that lit that up. So if you walked in there with this huge curtain, you couldn't see anything except the glory of God was right there. And the priest would have the incense and he'd sprinkle blood on the mercy seat that was up on top. And remember, there was no seat It was two cherubim with their wings pointing upward, covering their head and their feet. That's what it was. There was no seat for him to sit on, so to speak. But that was the mercy seat of God. And if they ever took off the lid of that mercy seat, in 1 Samuel it talks about that. You know what happened to the couple of guys? They said, let's look inside. God judged them for looking inside. And so below the mercy seat is the judgment of God. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Yeah, that was another thing. Like, oh, I get it now. God's mercy seat is over the judgment that is to come. It is superior to judgment. That's why we're supposed to walk in mercy. And so the whole tabernacle would speak of Jesus Christ. And of course, the sanctuary and the way that the sanctuary was made, and I told you about the menorah and the bread of the presence that was there. The floor was made of acacia wood overlaid with silver. The walls were made of acacia wood overlaid with gold. And the lampstand, it had these cups filled with oil and the spirit of God resided in the holy of holies. And by the way, that reference to 1 Samuel is chapter 6, verse 19. It says, but God struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they had looked in the ark of the Lord. Of course, this was depicted in a movie, right? (laughs) Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes. That's not theologically based, but you know, they looked in it. What happened that their eyes got burned out and everything else. I'm sure it didn't quite happen like that. The people just died, you know, whatever. God just judged them and they died, 70 of them, for looking in the Ark of the Covenant. You're not supposed to do that. And of course, the covering of the tabernacle, sea cows or dolphin or seal or badger skins were over there, nothing to look at. Ram skin dyed red, goat haired, re- referred to the sins taken on by Christ and his humanity. And then the fine linen, you had blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. But it was a tent. And that's where God dwelt, was in the tent. And of course, a tent cannot house God. But this tent is a replica of what is in heaven. Now, probably doesn't have the tent in heaven. It's probably just the lampstand and the showbread and all of that. But God did this parallel interpretation so that the Jews might understand. And so we get the history. You know, this move to get rid of the history that we have today. Just imagine if we got rid of the history of the Christian church and the Jews. We wouldn't know where we were. That's why history is so important. We know the history of the sacrificial system, how God delivered the Jews, how he chose Abraham, and that's where we are today. That is our heritage. And so just like we don't want to forget that heritage, we don't want to forget the heritage that we have in this country. And that's what's good, just, right, and fair. And so from this point, I'm going to cut it off right here before we finish up the book, chapter 9, because we're out of time. But I just want to remind you, to reflect on what has taken place in the past. That is what the author of Hebrews is allowing the Jews to do. He's bringing up the history. That's why we reflect on it. That's why we read the Old Testament. That's why we go through the New Testament that is 2,000 years old so that we might have this solid foundation and not be worried when the eclipse shows up 
or people say, this is going to happen. Remember, they were telling, Jesus was telling his disciples that if they say that the Messiah, he's out here or he's over there, don't believe it. Don't fall for that type of falsehood. And so we're supposed to be strengthened and to be grounded in the truth. My prayer for you is that God would grant you the patience to wade through the scripture and that he would give you understanding when you open up his pages and that he would fill you so much with the spirit of understanding that you'd be able to give that information to others as you have the opportunity. I have two minutes left. The opportunities will present themselves, and I'm going to close with this. I'm going to give you an example how they present themselves. You just have to be ready for it. This last week, you know that I'm a gardener. I pull weeds and cut grass and stuff like that. I was at this job, and I had this hedge trimmer. I already told the men this on Thursday. I had this hedge trimmer. It's a pretty weighty hedge trimmer. It looks like a line trimmer, only it has a hedge trimmer on the end, and it's long. It's a, like a sword. You know, I could just take out stuff and I'm up on this ladder and I'm trimming away here and I see this guy walk by and he has these headphones in and he goes, oh, oh, thanks, man. It looks great. The place where I'm staying, the owner doesn't do any of this. I wish, you know, I wish he would. And I go, oh, and I just got this inkling come down off the ladder. Okay, I'm busy, but I'm getting down off the ladder. And I got off the ladder and I shut the thing off and he goes, yeah, man, you know, I told the the manager, the owner there, that if you just take half off my rent, I'll clean all this stuff up, and he won't do it. You know, it looks nice. It's all hedge trimmed here and everything. It's good. You know, thank you, man. Makes our neighborhood look nice. I said, it's no problem. And so we're we're talking, and, you know, he's walking along, and I notice he has a problem with his back. He goes, yeah, I got this vertebrae out here, and this vertebrae out here, and this bulging here, and that problem over here. And he, oh, I need to sit down. So he sits down on the bed of my truck, and I go, Okay, I said, well, you know, at least you can walk along with the headphones in your ears, you know, listening to music. He goes, I'm not listening to music. I said, what do you listen to? He says, sports. Sports? I said, how about that football? Football is declining across the United States. I just heard this report on the news, how it's getting out of all these schools and everything. He goes, well, you know what it is. And I said, no, what? The president. I said, the president, how is it the president? This report was talking about the concussion things and how parents don't want their kids in football anymore. And they gave a whole explanation of what it was. But the president, how was it the president? He goes, well, it was just the president. You know, it all goes back, you know, especially black people, you know, they're in football and he, this guy's black. And he says, you know, people of my race, you know, and he uses the N word. He goes, people of my race, you know, they, they, Tend to be, and he didn't use the word um, ignorant, but a pushover kind of idea that they'll just believe anything that is out there. He goes, you know what? It goes all the way back to Noah. <laughs> and I said, Noah? He goes, and, you know, I am just intrigued at this point. <laughs> and he, goes, he goes, yeah, Noah. He goes, you know, you had, you had Shem and you had Ham. You had Billy Goat. And I go, Billy Goat? He goes, yeah, Shem, Ham, and Billy Goat. And I'm going, now wait a second. I think I know a little bit about the Old Testament. I said, the flood is in Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8, a little bit into 9. And I said, it was Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so he just, he looks at me. I go, yeah, are you talking about Ham? 
You know, he was the one that and he goes, well, no, you know, it's just, it seems like sometimes the people of my race, they just make wrong decisions and something along that line. To make a long story short, I asked the guy, so where do you go to church, man? He goes, I don't. I go, you don't go to church. Why don't you go to church, man? You're violating Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. That says, do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren as is the habit of some. What are you doing, man? And I was doing it just like that. And he's sitting, he's sitting on the end of the, the truck bed. And he goes, well, my wife goes to church. She goes to a Baptist church. And I said, that's great. Go to a Baptist church. I said, this is your opportunity. You're going to go home and you're going to tell your wife that you met this guy and he told you about the book of Genesis and you're supposed to go back to church. You're supposed to be there. God is calling you back. He goes, well, man, I have this blog. You know, I, I, that's what I do for my church. I said, that is not what God requires of you. God requires you to be in fellowship. And I said, how long have you been a Christian? And he said, well, I've been a Christian for you know, since the sixth or seventh grade. And this guy's 48. I said, okay, you've been a Christian that long. I said, can you name for me one, or can you name for me the 10 commandments in order? I go, well, in order. I said, yeah, in order. No, well, no, like there's don't steal. I said, yeah, there's don't steal. I said, what's the first one? The very first one. And he couldn't get the first one. And I said, the first one is to have no other gods before me. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I said, God, he's the one. That's what, that's it. Make no graven images. The second one, and I listed them off for him. And then I said, okay, do this. Give me one verse from the Bible. You have been a Christian since the sixth or seventh grade. One verse. He couldn't give me one verse. And I talked to him about being a disciple. And I said, you know, the Lord has called us to be a disciple. Three times in scripture, the word talks about us being Christians, but 243 times or more, it talks about being a disciple. God wants you to be a disciple. He wants you to go back to church. You're going to tell your wife, you're going to church this Sunday. And he goes, oh man, for shame, for shame. I prayed for the guy. I prayed for his back. He walked up going, thanks, man. He just walked away. We have an opportunity to be a witness. If we have the scripture down, if we know what the word says, if we allowed ourselves to be taken over by the spirit of God, so to speak, I didn't want to get down off that ladder. I was sweating. Come on, man, you're bugging me. You know, I got to do the flesh. That's what the flesh says. But the Lord just kept on prompting me. Just wait, just wait, just wait. And then Noah came up and I go, okay, that's it. I'm here for the long haul. You know, we, and we sat down for 45 minutes and we went over the scriptures. So open your mouth when you have the opportunity. Be in the word and God will bless your efforts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for your blessing upon it as it enters our minds and our hearts. May you use us for your glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, please stand up as we sing our final song.